What if you could be doing something smarter with your money that creates income now? If you're wanting to get ahead financially and enjoy greater freedom of choice, if you want a comfortable retirement and you know you'll have more choices if you can do more with your money now, if you've wondered who else is creating ways to make their money work for them and you want actionable ideas with honest pros and cons and no fluff, welcome to the Richer Geek Podcast. We're here helping people find creative ways to build wealth and financial freedom. I'm Mike Stoller, and in this podcast, you'll hear from others who are already doing these things and learn how you can too. Hey, everybody, welcome back to another episode of the Richard Geek. In this episode, we have Bronson Hill. How are you doing, Bronson? Hey, Mike, really excited to be here. Love talking about alternative assets and becoming a Richard Geek. <laughs> there you go. We all have a little bit of geek. We just want to be a little richer doing it, right? <laughs> exactly. Um, so uh, Bronson is the uh, managing member of Bronson Equity. He's a general partner in 2,000 multifamily units worth over $200 million. Well done. Well done. And uh, he currently co-leads a large in-person multifamily meetup in Pasadena for all of you California listeners and uh We'll talk a little bit about that and how you can find information when the time comes. And uh, he does everything multifamily, and he's going to talk a little bit about uh, inflation, why he still thinks multifamily is uh, the way to go with uh, the reduced cap rates. I'm listening, uh, looking forward to that. Um, tell us a little bit about how you started, uh, a little bit about your past and what you're doing. Yeah, thanks. Well, excited to be here, Mike. I love talking about these topics. Um, yeah, so I started um, years ago. I had a rental house and I'd had it for years and it just cash flowed a little bit, but it was in another state where I had been working. And my work background, I worked in medical device sales for about 10 years. And so this was basically wearing scrubs, going into surgery, working with heart surgeons and physicians on how to you know, sell these certain devices. And I looked around, I was working a lot of hours. And I was making good money, but I just, I didn't have freedom of time. And yeah. I saw a lot of physicians I worked with too. I had a couple of physicians I knew that were making over $3 million a year, but they were working 70 or 80 hours a week, every week. And I didn't envy what they were doing. And so I thought, well, I want to become, try to find a way to become financially free. So I started, I did what a lot of people do is I started buying single family houses and do kind of a buy and hold strategy. So I ended up with a small portfolio of single family houses and it was a lot of work. I was still getting calls. I just thought, but I, I got to keep doing this is what I know. And I think we start with houses because, you know, at least a lot of us, because that's what we know, right? We're familiar with, we've lived in houses. We're very familiar with this. It's a subconscious thing. That's just what we think we're going to do. And I had a cousin that I didn't, you know, hadn't really talked to in years. And I saw him randomly at a family event. And I told him my big plan to get 30 houses in Cleveland and retire with, you know, quote unquote, passive income. And he said, well, that sounds like a lot of work. Why don't you do multifamily? And I said, well, I'd love to, but I don't have the money. And he said, well, you can raise the money. And he'd been doing multifamily for 25 years. He taught me about syndication, said, read this book, go to this conference. I did everything he said. I, you know, there's kind of a process that went into that. But now four years later, left my great corporate job about a year and a half ago, raised about 30 million for real estate, as well as other sort of alternative assets like ATM machines, car washes and other stuff. So it's been, it's been really fun. Yeah. Well, it sounds like it. And it's been, it's a pretty quick turnaround. So multifamily, you know, I have, it's interesting that uh, well, let me back up a little bit. You know, it's 
it's kind of like what I call the HGTV progression. Okay. Most people, oh, fix and flips, you know, because you can do that in an hour, an hour episode, right? And, they, and everything goes perfect um, <laughs> on these shows. And then, <laughs> right. you know, the, the single family home, it's the natural progression, right? And I think everyone that gets into fix and flips and, and then the single family homes, whether they do rentals or lease options, uh, what's the next step? It's multifamily. It's just the natural progression. Um, number one, are a lot of yours, are, are you nationwide or are they in California? Uh, so we don't own anything in California. I just think Good California for you. is a pretty tough, we talked about it a little before we started this uh, interview, but it's a tough place to do business. It's a tough yeah. place to own property. Uh, all of our stuff, about, I'd say most of our stuff is in Jacksonville, Florida. We love that market because <laughs> the growth, we do a lot in Atlanta. We also have some stuff in Huntsville, Alabama. So we've got uh, Southeast. And again, it's population growth, job growth, yeah. income growth. It's more landlord friendly, business friendly. People move there because it's warmer, all the retirees. So there's all kinds of reasons why we love those areas. Yeah. And I, I agree. I call them, you know, free states. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> land <of> the, free. <laughs> the land of the free. And, and you know, yeah. but some, some people are a little more freer than others, depending on where they live. <laughs> that's true. That's true. Um, and, you know, and that's what I learned I don't know how, you know, COVID affected you. And that's what I learned in the hotel spaces. Like, my God, I can't imagine owning a property or owning an asset that I was, uh, my own state forced me to close it. Yeah. Yeah. It's, yeah. well, it's funny. I run a, a large meetup in the Los Angeles area. And so we have about 60, 70 people that show up every month. And mm -hmm. uh, I, I just, I try to encourage people to look out, out of state because there's mm -hmm. a lot of local opportunities, but I just say no to pretty much everything. If there was something that was like, basically somebody would give me a property and like seller finance, something that really made sense, I'd consider it. But uh, I'm not out chasing that stuff. Right. I know mm -hmm. like what I want to buy. I know what it looks like. I know what I want to be doing. And it helps you avoid shiny object syndrome when you have a very laser focus of we do this and this market with this vintage of property with this time horizon mm -hmm. and successful doing it. And that's where I watch people that I really admire. I've done very well because they're really focused. Yeah. And, you know, talk a little bit about that, the difference in multifamily of when you get into it, you know, ladies and gentlemen, it is very important to know what are the state laws regarding landlord tenant rights. And how easy is it for them, for you to evict? Yeah, that that's a huge, I'm glad you brought that up. That's a really big deal. I've got a guy in my men's group at church and he has a rental in LA and he didn't really use a management company. He kind of did it himself. And there was some, basically the people had forged documents that showed they had great income and they had work and oh, here's a background check, but it, he didn't do the background check. It's all this stuff. And so it ended up being a four or five month eviction process where just he couldn't get these people out. And that's that's honestly kind of like a, a pretty normal thing here if people know what they're doing and they know how to work the system versus I think it's Alabama. It's either Alabama or Arkansas. They have a law that's like if somebody stops paying and they like, oh, I'm not going to pay, whatever. I think like within like three days, you can get them out. Now, as a landlord, you, you, you want to try to work with people. So it's not like you're just like, hey, they're done. You, know, you want to try to keep them in because it's easier as far as better for them. It's better, less turnover. It's you know less hard on the unit, that kind of thing. So you want to work with people, but it gives you the ability to manage the property how you want. And so when you have all these things in here, and I, and I think the eviction moratorium in the city of LA, I think is still going until June of 23. They might have rolled that back, but like, I mean, they, UCLA came out with a study and they found that, uh, this sounds just absolutely unbelievable to me. They found like something like 49% of residents in Los Angeles that were renting had stopped paying rent. 
And this was like, at some point in 2021 or 2022, it was like, it just, it was absolutely unbelievable. Like, how is that even possible? And if you're a small landlord, you're dying because all the, right. all the, you know, they were giving out some fees and stuff from the state to kind of cover, you know, some of the rent and stuff. But um, that, I mean, when you're in a place that's landlord friendly and business friendly, and you can do what you want with your property, it is so much easier. It's so much, I think it's so much better for everybody. And it actually means housing, when you have things like rent controls and other things, it actually makes housing more scarce because people, owners don't want to own there just for the reasons you and I said, we don't want to own in California, right? Mm -hmm. So the, it has the exact opposite effect of what some of these laws, their desire is, which is it actually limits housing, which is unfortunate. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Off of that that <laughs> kind of sidebar right there. <laughs> oh, it's a good topic, uh, though. But it's a very good topic. And I always tell people, you know, if you get into assets, you don't just look at properties and, and things like that. You have to research state laws and and is it business friendly or not. So let's talk about, you know, what you're doing in multifamily. It's interesting because I don't know in Florida where you're at, you know, the cap rates are coming down. And how, how are you dealing with, that uh, you know, with the the compression of the cap rates and uh, all the rate the, the the inflation that's coming up. Yeah, so uh, cap rates. Uh, I think I think compression is when they get more compressed. So they have compressed now. They're starting to come up a little bit more. So we're seeing cap mm -hmm. rates rise a little bit. Um, and but it, in reality, in in where we're at in Jacksonville, Florida, we're seeing something like a thousand new people show up every week. Uh, or more. So it's just, there's so much growth still happening in these areas that uh, I think the city is something like 95 or 97% occupied. And so there's just not enough room. So again, if you're buying, you know, Cleveland, Ohio, uh, or another that's flat or declining in population is going to be very differently affected than a place like uh, Jacksonville, Florida. So, um, so we, we found, I mean, the biggest thing that concern, at least at the time of recording the second week of January here, uh, biggest concern we have is just our interest rate caps. Um, mm -hmm. So we have, you know, uh, for those that aren't familiar, you have, you know, fixed long-term debt mm -hmm. and about 90% of debt, somewhere 85, 90% is used by bridge, you know, two-year type of debt with some extensions potentially. And we thought, all thought we were really smart by getting that and then putting a, a, getting an insurance, which is like an interest rate cap that limits how high that rate will go. And it will actually pay if it goes above a certain percent, it goes up 5% or 5%. So it, it is, they are paying out, but the insurance part of that is now costing about 20 times as much as it did a year ago. So it's a very interesting time, as you know, right now in multifamily where it's harder to see the deals that were cash flowing really well, that now some of those debt costs and the insurance costs are eating into some of those cash flows. Um, I think personally, and this is, I think we may get to this, but I think it's a great time right now to own a lot of multifamily. And I think there's a couple of reasons for this. I'm going to explain this. Mm -hmm. um, right now, Bloomberg came out with an article about a month ago that said that Americans today have $5 trillion in savings and bank accounts. Uh, the highest we've ever had in the history you know, that we recorded was $1.2 which was in 2020. So we have four to five times the amount of cash on the sidelines that's just sitting there. And, and it's for un understandably, right? The confused mind was, I don't know what to do. I shouldn't invest. I'm going to wait. Um, but of course, inflation is a huge risk there. We can talk about that in a little bit. But uh, basically, the uh, you know, where that's going to go is basically there's a huge demand for apartment buildings. You know, there's a huge three and we're between three and 8 million apartment units short, uh, as far as depending on what study you look at that we're on a huge shortage of apartments. Um, right now it's a little hard to get different deals and get them done or contract. The loan to values have kind of gotten a little wonky. Mm -hmm. And so if you can own them, 
my thought is what's going to happen at some point in the next three, six, 12 months, the Fed is going to start uh, you know, stopping their raises and they're going to start lowering rates. And when they start lowering rates, and historically, they've never had more than 13 months from the time of the first uh, you know, raise in rates to when they start cutting. I think it might be a little bit longer this time, but not much longer. So mm-hmm. they're going to find a reason to cut. And when they do that, lending is going to stabilize. All these lenders are going to want to start to lend. The deal's going to be out there. And then all these investors are going to say, I'm missing out. They're going to try to get all this money on the sidelines into deals. So I think the valuations are going to go way up. I think we're going to see uh, like, man, I wish right during this time when things were a little tough, I wish I had bought a lot more right now. So that's my opinion on why I think multifamily is still a great deal right now if you can make if you make the numbers work. Yeah. Or so are you noticing that your uh your loan to value are the banks saying, Hey, it's a little more risky because my interest rates are at, let's say 6%. Um, now here in Arizona, the cap rates are three, three and a half. So I'm, you know, I'm, I'm paying more in percentage and debt than I am making, uh, percentage wise. Uh, are they requiring like more of like a 40%, 50%, yeah, yeah, the days of twenty percent down or twenty five percent down really are gone. At least at this mm-hmm. point, um, you know, it, it's typically thirty, thirty five percent, forty percent, even sometimes fifty percent down. And so that really changes your numbers. And maybe someone that you know, we we do deals, we raise money from investors. It's getting harder on a lot of levels, right? Because you're having to raise more money now for deals, so the numbers numbers don't work as well. And investor sentiment is uh, like, I don't know, I'm going to wait, I'm going to wait and see. Um, and so it, it is getting harder to do deals, but I, I think the reason I wanted to share that about multifamily is that I think it's important that people like feel good about what they are invested in, no matter how it's performing right now. Cause if you're in a deal, it's different than if you're trying to acquire a deal right now and that it's important that people continue to pay attention and they're continually looking and that they're open to that because when that changes, I think it's going to shift pretty quickly. Mm-hmm. And when that starts shifting, if you're, if you get in right away versus if you get in a few months down the road, that could be a very different entry point. Yeah. And, you know, even if there are some, let's say some losses or just some stagnation, um, if you do the tax portion correctly, uh, it's still possible. And and I hit this with the, the viewers all the time, you know, the listeners about uh, even though you're the LP, the limited partner, you get that same tax benefit. So even though you're not, it's like, hey, you know, I was supposed to get these monthly distributions and that done. And I'm not seeing a lot of that right now, but you still, they're, they're still seeing a lot of tax benefits. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, um, and this is something I wanted to mention too, is just that, uh, you know, the confused mind, a lot of people are just like, I don't know what to do here. I just, uh, speaking with somebody on my, my podcast yesterday and a very smart data person, and they were just like, it's, it's kind of a bipolar market, right? <laughs> is the economy strong? Is it weak? Well, it's, it's, we have the lowest unemployment we've ever we've ever had in history. It was like three point two percent. It's it's like keeps going down, and so the Fed is trying to kind of stall the economy, trying to kind of slow things down, and yet things are still going well. And so yet, but then other numbers are saying, well, you know, real estate is way down in certain areas, and a lot of single families down. So a lot of people are just like, I don't know what to do. And so Warren Buffett, you know, I follow Warren Buffett's stuff a lot, and his quotes I love. He talks about be fearful when others are greedy, and be greedy when others are fearful. So there's a lot of fear right now. People are very afraid. They don't know what to do, and I think. Um, you know, uh, really there, there comes a point of inflation when we look at how inflation is impacting investments and it's just impacting our lives, right? Like everything's costing more, the store at the pump. And, you know, we're on the side that we're, a lot of people are getting hurt by that. And there's a way that you actually can use it to your advantage. And how that is, is using 
uh, hopefully using debt to buy assets that pay you to hold them where you have a hedge there and you're paying all these debts off for these properties or assets with future dollars that are worth less. And you know, these properties are going to be more valuable, right? So there, there are things that I think if people are just sitting on the sidelines waiting, if you were to wait, uh, you know, I, I think inflation is not 7%. I think it's more like 15% when you look at actually the actual cost of things. So if you wait a couple of years, which, it, you know, it could be a year or two, you could be losing 30 or 40% of your purchasing power. And so I think just being in cash, I'm, I'm mostly deployed. I have a little bit of cash, but not a lot. I mean, I'm trying to really find as many deals as I can that make sense. And, and not just, you know, multiple. I'm looking at other assets, looking at, look at other assets and different things as well. But I think being invested right now, it's great to be invested and, and just sitting in cash. I'm not a big fan of that right now. Um, but what I was saying is, you know, so what you're saying is don't hold on. Don't be fearful during these times. If there's something that someone knowledgeable, like your, you know, like Bronson Equity, uh, if you have some extra cash, it's, I think, a lot safer if you go ahead and say, hey, look, you know, I'm going to put it into somewhere instead of keeping it in the market or keeping it in an IRA that's not doing anything. And, you know, if China sneezes or anyone sneezes, man, I mean, you're just the stress of it going up and down and yeah. the one thing about real estate it may be hurting a little bit right now but it, real estate always recovers yeah yeah it, it's it, you know you look at uh you know a lot of times we think of and this is hard for people to think about but a lot of times we think of wealth as being dollars right wealth mm -hmm. is how many dollars you have but in reality you know the dollar has lost 98 percent of its value since 1913, the year the Fed was created. So just over hundred years. Um, so it's not that, and, and I, I do this with my daughter, my daughter's 10 and we'll look at old pictures at a uh, In-N-Out Burger in LA. And I say, oh, you know, hamburgers are 10 cents. And I say, but we just paid $3 for hamburger. So what does that mean? And she said, I don't know. And I said, well, you know, it's not that, you know, the hamburger costs more. It's just that our dollars are worth less. So finding a way to get out of the dollar and really, really my friend, Chris Martinson talks about this, that wealth is not you know, uh, dollars or stuff or things like this. It really is. It's, it's, it's something productive, right? Like a, like a commodity. You can actually use oil to do something. You can use, uh, you know, precious metals have intrinsic value. You know, real mm -hmm. estate has, it produces cash. I, I, productive assets, I think are the best because they have a great inflation hedge and then they pay you to hold them. Right. So it's not just like I'm holding precious metal. And I know that the more money they print, it's going to be worth more. And I do have a lot of in the background. I've got, I've got a bunch of gold, fake gold bars. But, um, you know, basically when you hold something that it's like it cash flows, um, you have not only the inflation hedge, but you also the cash flow is hedged as well. Right. Mm -hmm. so you know, they can't you can't just create another house or more land or you can't create more stuff. And that's why uh, even with you guys with hotels, I mean, you're, you're you're creating something of value that actually pays you to hold it. And I think that's a really great strategy going forward. Now you talked a little bit about uh, the oil and the gas and, and, you know, I know that there's some things uh, with the federal government that you can actually get into oil and gas and they, was it like it, zero tax? You know, there's something that they actually pay you to hold or get into the oil. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm not a tax professional. I'm not giving tax advice, but we are, I mean, this is a big area of interest for me because um, a lot of professionals and a lot of physicians I used to work with, they'd pay 
you know, 50% in taxes, the, the federal rate, the highest federal rate above, I think 493,000, or if you're a married couple, 690,000 or something, it's, it's uh, 37%. So every dollar above that amount is 37%. And then if you live in a great state like California that has a state income tax, you're paying another 12.2% or something. Mm -hmm. So it's 49.2%. Plus, if you have social security, other things, you're paying around 60% in taxes, which is crazy. But there are investments, there are strategies to be able to reduce taxes through government incentives. So people call them loopholes. I call them incentives because the government intentionally does this mm -hmm. because they know they need things like affordable housing and energy and things like this. For most people, they can only use their investment depreciation or losses or things from syndication. Like they can only use that toward their investment uh, gains, right? So if you sell a house or something, you can use the depreciation from other investments to kind of cover that. But uh, when it comes to ordinary income, W-2 or 10 in an income, it's harder to find ways to do it. There are some things in the energy space. There's oil and gas. If people uh, invest directly in an oil and gas company that does drilling, usually 80% or so of that first year investment is uh, able to be a direct reduction against your income. So if I make 200 a year and I invest 200K into a oil driller that's doing drilling, I can basically reduce my taxable basis for that year by about $160,000. So it shows that, okay, I've only made about 40,000 this year, right? So it's on paper how it looks. So, and there's not, there's that, there's others, there's one called carbon, carbon capture. There's other ones that are out there, even in solar and other types of energy that are government incentives. And I think it's just amazing to look into because people just look at, well, these are the returns or these are the risks, but uh, what are the risks? You know, it's a certainty you're going to pay taxes if you're a high earner, right? You know, you're going to be paying such high taxes. So Maybe the investment returns 15 or 10 or 20% per year, but what is the taxable benefit too, right? You may have a 40% return when you count how much you're saving in taxes by looking into this. So this is something we're actually looking into. A, a friend of mine, we're looking to create a zero tax summit, uh, zero tax mm -hmm. investing summit to try to create a one day event to just talk about this and bring in experts you know, that are CPAs and also people that have case studies. I know a guy, a, a couple of brothers here in California that sold a business for $5 million dollars and their taxable bill was going to be two point four million dollars, and they got it down to one point. They got it down to one hundred and twenty-five thousand. And I could talk about how that happened, but they literally this is money they were going to pay, and they reduced it by like ninety-five percent, which is incredible. So I think those are stories we need to tell, and a lot of people don't talk about that. Wow, I mean that's that's wonderful, and yeah, definitely let me know when that uh, when that comes up, and if if you get it, you know, prior to this uh, show going live, we'll put it in the show notes and. Okay. And all of that. Um, so we kind of handed on syndication, things like that. So listeners are interested. They're just like, okay, I'm going to do some of this stuff, but they don't have the time. They don't have the knowledge. Definitely don't want to be a landlord. How yeah. are they getting involved with you? Yeah. So uh, it's a good question because a lot of people um, that we work with, you know, they, they don't want to manage, you know, maybe they've, you've had a rental house or, had a vacation home and it just ends up being a lot of work. And I always tell people, if you can't 10 X your current strategy, meaning if you have, you know, one house or five houses, if you can't go to 10 or 50, then you're not really a passive investor, right? You're actually an active investor. And so that's when I uh, talk about passive investing. It actually involves you finding and vetting a good team uh, that matches your values and basically vetting the deal that they're in and the market they're in. And then you decide to invest. And then what happens is the name of my 
podcast is called the Mailbox Money Show. And it basically is all about that. How do you invest in things that your your work is, it's not completely passive, not fully passive, but it's more passive, right? So you're doing the, looking at deals on the front end, you're, you're meeting and you're networking, you're trying to find that. And then when you find a good deal, you'll invest. And so that's kind of generally how that works. Um, some, a couple of the best ways that I look at is really growing as a passive investor is going to local meetups, right? Mm-hmm. So if you go to a local meetup, we run one in Los Angeles, everybody's welcome to join us the first Wednesday of the month. Uh, you can meet really interesting people. Another great way is national conferences. You can go, there's a lot of multifamily or other investing conferences and it's really you, the people you're going to meet there. And one of the most powerful relationships I found for somebody who wants to be a passive investor is another passive investor, somebody who in, has invested in other deals, who has some experience. And they're one of the few people that really are unbiased, right? I mean, you and I, we have deals we do, that kind of thing, but mm-hmm. obviously you and I, we both want to make sure we're taking care of people, but a passive investor, there's nothing to sell. It's like they're, they're just interested in the relationship and they're happy often to share information that's like, here's how it worked with this operator. Here's how it worked over here. And it's very, very, it can be very powerful. Yeah, it, it is. And it, it, it's, it's so important, ladies and gentlemen, to diversify. You don't want to work your entire life and then the stock market go down. We're seeing that now. I see a lot of older individuals that are really stressing because they just lost 40% of the retirement. And they're not getting any of that back until the stock market goes back up because they're not working. So it's very important to, get, to diversify, get with a general partner or syndicator that knows what they're doing, that has experience, and just talk to them. Uh, Bronson, how can people talk to you? How can they get a hold of you? Um, yeah, so the best way, I have this guide that I wrote called uh, How to Use Inflation to Your Advantage. It's a, a ebook on my website. You can go to bronsonequity.com give some of the strategies we talked about here using debt, but buy assets or other sorts of assets that uh, will, you know, retain value and grow even at a higher rate than inflation. So, uh, but yeah, I look forward to, uh, you know, connecting with anybody that wants to talk about real estate. I also go to a lot of live events and I'm on social media a lot. So mm-hmm. appreciate you having me on today, Mike. Absolutely. And again, his, uh, his podcast is called the mailbox money show. And if you're interested in his uh, multifamily meetup in Pasadena, it's, Phoebe, F-I-B-I, Pasadena.com, PhoebePasadena.com. And uh, Bronson, I appreciate you coming on today. And uh, hope it stops raining where you're at in LA. Yeah, it actually stops. I'm grateful you guys. It's incredible. It's been a lot of fun. All right, take care. Thanks for tuning in to the Richard Geek Podcast, where we're helping others find creative ways to build wealth and financial freedom. For today's show notes, including all the links and resources from our show and more information about our guests, visit us at www.therichardgeek.com slash podcast. And don't forget to jump over to Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts and hit the subscribe button. Share with others who could benefit from listening and leave a rating and review to get the podcast in front of more eyes. I appreciate you. And thanks for listening.